Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this week's episode of the Oprah Rose Show has been brought to you by OxyClean. So you guys know I'm a neat freak and super type A. So I always keep a bottle of OxyClean odor blasters nearby. Wearing the same pair of sweatpants most days of the week, it's a must. Yeah, it's also perfect to get rid of any musty smells from my gym clothes. You know, I'm back to running five miles a day just to help with those holiday calories. Oh, yes, I saw. Honestly, OxyClean has been the best for me, especially with Jess. You know, she's two, so she's super active, which means I have to wash her clothes every day, basically. And don't get me started on how much I wash her comfort toy. Luckily, OxyClean gets out all of the stains and it's chlorine-free and color-safe, so I feel better. We love this brand. So you guys have to try OxyClean Odor Blasters for yourself. For product information, stain solutions, and offers, visit OxyClean.com. Now let's start the show. Yo, you listening to the Oprah Rose Show with TT and Gigi? And yeah, get it popping. Thoughts. Everything begins with thoughts. She's a slut, she's a hoe, she's this, she's that. We say to girls, you can have ambition, but not too much. It's about people being uncomfortable with women owning their sexuality. What is the truest, highest vision that you hold for yourself? I'm a real ass bitch, and I'm going to get everything that I'm going to get on my own. I know for sure. You don't get what you wish for. You get what you believe. Hi, I'm TT. I'm Gigi. And I'm DD. This is episode 174 of the Oprah Rose Show. Um, as always, listeners, you know, thank you for subscribing, listening, all of your feedback. Um, you know, we love engaging with you. We are ending down this very, very, very long year. Oh my um, gosh. Super excited. Like, oh. thank God. Let's get it over and done with. Um, and, you know, I, I can't wait to see, like, our new Black superpowers that we all have after the 21st. We'll save yes. that for a whole other conversation and yes. discussion. Um, well, Didi's going to be flying. I'm going to be, be flying off rolling. of buildings. Y'all just wait. Y'all going to look up in the sky and be like, oh, there's Didi. I'm going to have Megan the Stallion yeah. knees. She's gonna make, and I'm gonna be able to move um, parking. I'm gonna be able to move cars with my eyes, so I can create parking. Oh, that's a, my block. oh um, that's, that's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. That's a real. That, good that one. is my super. That's my superpower. Obviously, there's no parking. Um, so <laughs> you know, let us know what your superpowers are, or just you know anything that you guys want to chat about. Um, write into the Oprah Rose Show at gmail.com. Like, subscribe, comment, and tell a friend to tell a friend. Um, no one told me we should like- do a wine segment because <laughs> we're always drinking wine. What do you mean? That we well, should we talk about oh, like a, like a varietal or a producer or brand brand black owned um, wineries. I feel like-, like Cynthia on Real Housewives of Atlanta. Okay. I don't okay. want to limit it to black owned, and y'all know I'm the blackest bitch ever. But I truly love, 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 love wine, and it wouldn't be a real segment for me. It wouldn't be true to me if I wasn't all inclusive because the wine that I love isn't all black owned. So, 
Well, I, I don't know if I've ever had black on wine. So. I've had a few. There's some really good options. There's some really good options. But wine, like when, if you can just grow a grape, right, you know, and, and, and produce good wine, it should be shared. It should be. It should be. Well, I drink wine, wine out of a bag. So I don't <laughs> like have a bunch of stipulations and shit because my wine comes out of a bag. And she's amazing. Like, she's so good. Like, she's amazing. Um, but also shout out to Lafitte, um, that is a friend and he owns a, um, black owned rosé actually. And I feel oh, like yes, now it's like, called. Yeah. you're having Lafitte? No, no, Lafitte. That's not. I know I'm having rosé, just rosé. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I was like, no, 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 that's not that. Um, but he has been, you know, doing this for like five years. And I think to finally, awesome. like, specifically this year to see it like actualize is like amazing. And there's like black girl magic wine, which I actually have had like six bottles of my house in that. That's really, really good. good. Um, so and then I want to actually two, try know, Snoop Dogg's but... wine. He had a whole ass display in Trader Joe's. Oh, and yeah. I was like, they don't do displays in Trader Joe's. This is really good. He had the 99 Crimes or the yes. else? Mm-hmm. Oh, that shit. I went to sleep in one second. I had one sip of that. I have not had 99 <laughs> Crimes since then. And I was I like putting together. I, I'm gonna, next time I go to Trader Joe's, which will be tomorrow, um, I'll pick up a bottle. Is it a red blood? Yeah. I didn't look at it. I just saw the display and I was like, okay, Snoop, that's what's up. In Trader Joe's. In Trader Joe's. Like, you know, I I work for a spirit company. We can't ever get a display in Trader Joe's. Like, it's impossible. So, I've never. They they really only give it to wine. So, that's why we wouldn't. But anyway. Here we go. There goes your segment, guys. (laughs) There's your wine segment. Yeah. There's there's your wine segment. Right. Exactly. We just gave y'all some brands to even try out. Didn't even know we incorporate things. (laughs) Didn't even plan on talking about. So, now to get to the show. um, So, we um we had a what was that maybe three months ago I have no concept of time obviously and a panorama um and you know we had an episode with the eggs over fertility doc and the episode went over really well um and then I think Kara I Kira I saw um you had posted like a documentary you know the beauty of social media um and it was a clip from the documentary called High Risk and. Literally, and I think I shared it with the team. We're like, oh my gosh, we should totally have you guys on and look at that manifestation. And here we are. Here we so are. So welcome, ladies. Um, you. So Thank if you, you guys just want to introduce yourselves. Sure. So I'm Kara. My name is Kara Barnett. Can you hear me? You guys hear me? Mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat> my name is Kara, Kara Barnett. I'm executive producer and one of the producers on a high risk. And um, I currently am a senior producer and writer for a TV network. That's my nine to five. But I felt very strongly and passionate about this topic. So uh, my production company collaborated with the production company of Eric Dickens, who was our other executive producer, who is not here today because he had a baby this week. Wow, congrats so, to congrats. him. Congrats. Jennifer yes. is here. And so, yeah, so we collaborated and we also, you know, were joined by these two other amazing women that are here and we created this amazing documentary. So I will let them introduce themselves. I'm Andrea Washington Hanner. I am supervising story producer of the documentary. Um, again, like Kara just mentioned, I was brought on Eric Dickens, just full disclosure, is one of my best friends. So um, I had a baby at the beginning of the year. I was about to say last year because 2020 has been so long. So long. Like it was last so year. Long. Yes. 
But I um just really quick, I had a baby at the beginning of the year, and that's him actually. Talk shout out. out. What's his Hello, name? Man. His name is Quincy. Um, Quincy. Yes. Hey, Quincy. Le- a legendary name. Oh. No. He um. Yeah, I had him at the beginning of the year and I had a lot of complications with my pregnancy. So we talked about that and um, he brought me on to uh, to be a supervising story producer, but also to um, kind of, it was kind of cathartic to get all of the things out that I'd experienced. So that's my story. And I'm Janita Bellamy. I am the supervising producer on High Risk Doc. I actually work with Kara at the same television network, nine to five that she has. Um, My role is in production management, which I love doing. And when she came to me with Eric, who I had, we crossed paths years ago, talking to me about the documentary that they wanted to work on. Based on personal conversations Kara and I have had, she knew that it would be something that would be of interest to me. So I was like, yeah, this sounds like fun. Let's do it. And it was my first documentary. It was an experience <laughs> to say the least because so much goes into, it's so different when you're working on a personal project as opposed to like a network project where the funds seem almost limitless. But we worked on it and now it's we're trying to shop it and it's looking good and I'm excited and proud to have been a part of it. That's exciting. I'm excited for you guys. That is. So, you know, and especially I think, you know, Kira and, and Janita, that being your, you know, so that, that's what you guys do, like you said, in your nine to five. Um, so what made you guys want to shed more light on this topic and, and just also just encompassing everything else that high risk is about? Um, I'll, I'll start. So we work at a network that speaks very much to our culture. So it's not so much that, oh, this was an outlet for a voice that we don't normally tap into. So that being said, uh, and I don't have children. I, I don't yet have that experience, but it was very personal for me. One, because I'm now in this phase of life where, and I think we all are, where friends are having kids or f- friends are starting families. And this is not a new topic as we've discovered, <laughs> but yeah. as you go into that phase, you kind of start hearing the stories of like, oh, so-and-so had a miscarriage. Oh, so-and-so is trying, but they've been trying for a minute. Or, oh, so-and-so had a baby, but it was really traumatic. And so once you hear enough of those stories, you're like, okay, this is not just a me thing or her thing. Like it, this is happening to many of my friends. So now I, I really, really care. Now I, I, now I want answers. And for me personally, my sister, who is my best friend in the world, she, um, she went through many miscarriage experiences and then also went through many unsuccessful IVF rounds and now she has a beautiful son but you know it it definitely the healing process as I held her hand and watched her go through that was very hard to watch and so you you have an understanding that this is not something that happens and then you get over it once you have a baby like you continue to heal from it afterwards and so for me it was very personal even though I don't I'm not a mother yet I wanted to be to, to do this I wanted to have a part of this conversation come from us so that was my personal reason why um my reason why I really can't like I don't have children yet I'm not there yet but like Kara said we have conversations she and I were having many conversations about like possibly egg freezing and things like that so it just felt natural when she came to me with this topic of a documentary and because it's our professional like I do this professionally that I was like, yeah, I can definitely help out with this. Why not? And it's a topic that I feel is very close to home, especially knowing being a black woman, knowing so many black people and selfishly, 
because I am not there yet, I use this project as a way to learn all that I need to learn before I get there. I'm actually curious, has that skewed or affected how you view and kind of almost mentally prepare yourself for accepting or wanting to discover like the motherhood journey for what your personal experience will be. I asked that because when we um, had a previous episode and we talked about like fertility and things like that, a lot of, you know, my friends who are not mothers yet, um, it, it kind of invoked a lot of fear unnecessarily, you know, cause it's not that we want to uh, project fear or lack of anything like that. It's more so like just, access of information because the female reproductive experience in general has always, I think, historically been very hush. And now, you know, I think um, more white women have been able to speak about their experiences, but black women, we are just now being able to talk about that. So how is there fear for you, especially being so close to, you know, uh, providing this documentary and this information to so many different women? I don't think I feel fair. Are you talking about my personal, like how I Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's fair is more urgency because as you educate yourself and you understand all the micro steps that go into it, like, so I'm a certain age. So like Janita says, if I'm going to freeze my eggs, freezing eggs is not a one appointment. It is a very long process that requires mm-hmm. you to- Expensive. Sh- to, to shoot yourself, you know, in, like in the stomach at the same time every day for two weeks. That's a commitment that I have. And then that's-, that's At the same time? Right? It has to be at the same time every day. Wow. And then I have to then go in to get tested to see if my eggs are fluffy enough. And so, so in terms of just the commitment to the process, I have a whole new respect for that. And I'm not just talking about IVF, but just the commitment to motherhood. Like it's a journey. Um, and I think even talking to like Dr. Terri Ann Bennett, who is featured in the documentary, she's a fertility specialist on the OBGYN. She talks about the fact that a lot of black women, we wait till we're older because we think it's we think it's an older woman's problem. So we wait till mm-hmm. and then at that point you have endometriosis or you have something that might might be something prohibitive to getting pregnant. Then you have to start the process of addressing that issue before you even address I you know IVF. So I think sometimes I realize now there's an urgency. Like I need to get on it and I need to I need to take it seriously if I want a baby five years from now. I start working. I start thinking about it now. So it's less fair. It's just more urgency and respect for the process for me personally. And also knowing that there's a tribe. I always thought like, oh, I'm gonna go in and float in on my cloud with my husband and that's gonna be it. We're gonna come out with our baby, but like, you need advocates. Like I want a doula. Yeah. Like, it, like I, I, I want a doula, I want my mother, I want my husband, but, but I want, I want a, a, a village with me so that I feel as much as I can that I'm supported and protected in the process. Yeah. I mean, for me, I wouldn't say it struck up fear. If anything, there's other TV shows that I've watched that y'all probably don't want to plug that made me be like, I'm going to plug the show, Euphoria. Watching that show. Like, Do I want Yo, absolutely. Do I want these kids, Lord? Oh, like, like that, that is show. a form of birth control, Euphoria. That they- mm-hmm. is fearful. Mm-hmm. If anything, working there. on this documentary, I feel like it, it gave me a measure of preparedness, and it also affirmed a lot of things that I was doing in my personal life anyway. Like, since I've been like, because of my mother and who she is growing up, I've always made it a point to make sure I have black doctors because I felt like you can't necessarily speak to what I'm going through. If you don't understand what I'm going through or understand who I am. So Mm -hmm. that's something that's touched on in the documentary, the importance of having 
doctors and having the conversations with doctors and making sure that you are heard. So if anything, I feel like I'm more prepared now for it. Um, I'm a Christian, so fear is not something that I'm not afraid of it. I just mm-hmm. open my eyes and I learn more. So I'm happy to have worked on it and to have learned about the process and things that I should look out for. And one of the major, major takeaways from every woman we spoke to who participated in this documentary is you know your body. And whether you're a doctor or not, you know when something doesn't feel right and you have to be, you are your biggest advocate. So when they try to shut you down or when they tell you, no, no, it's okay. No, you're fine, blah, blah, blah. Have them, I, I believe it was Dr. Terry, Um, Bennett who had said have them write that down have them put it on paper so that you can go and get further information elsewhere and once you do that doctors be like wait wait, wait. no no no, I'm not going to write it down nobody wants to write anything down regardless of whatever Mm -hmm. you're in because you don't want the paper trail of when you told this person yeah so I'm not I'm not afraid I'm more I'm excited I'm not starting this journey tomorrow (laughs) (laughs) But I'm excited for when that journey does happen for me because I feel like I'm armed with so much information that it's not going to be so scary and so, so different for somebody who's never had a child before. Yeah. Yeah, I think that is, because like you said, all of our, or not all, but you know, a lot of times like as we get older, you know, your your friends are all starting families. And like, I, I had two friends that, um, two friends that had twins and both of their experiences were, you know, one was completely fine in the hospital. And two minutes later, she was being rushed to have a C-section that was like completely out of the blue. And she literally said it like the doctor, her doctor switched over the resident that came over, wasn't listening. So I'm listening like, wait, what WTF? Like this sounds horrific. And she was like, no, it was like, I'm not even, and she's not someone that's very like dramatic. She's always calm. And she was like, no, it was like one of the worst things I've ever gone through in my life. And then I had another friend just on the, I guess, you know, like the post-op, I did not realize all of what went into just for instance, a C-section and how it's like, how are you supposed to like feed a kid and, and, you know, like wake up and just do all these things. And all of your organs have like been, you know, taken out or whatever, move, move back in. And, and I was like, well, let me start doing more research on this. Like you said, I'm not planning this anytime soon. But and both of I your friends were natural twins, it. right? Natural yeah. twins. Well, no, they both had C-sections. They both. Well, I mean, natural, like, to be, like they didn't have IVF or any, they didn't have any assistance. Oh, they yeah, yeah, twins. no, no, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like one, you know, and I think it was supposed to be, and actually break that down is natural birth. Just that is just vaginal birth. And then obviously a C-section is just a C-section. Are there any other terms for that? Andrea had a C-section. So I'll let you have a C-section. Uh, and it was a surprise C-section. So let's talk about that. So I was pregnant. Um, the whole time I was, there was a planned induction. And I went into the hospital, I'm sorry, I went to my doctor for my final visit prior to going in for the induction and my blood pressure was through the roof. If you've seen Kim Kardashian's feet when she was pregnant with North, that is what my feet Mm -hmm. were. And they were like, like Mm -hmm. crazy. So they said, so I went to the hospital. I was supposed to be induced. My doctor sent me immediately. I went and I'm ready for my induction. I get, um, prepped I'm laying there 
I'm then told, you know, we're going to start the process. And then I had an epidural, which that's a nightmare story that I'll tell you. I don't want to scare you, but that was, that was really, really bad. So I had the epidural. I would like to hear it a little bit. I'm yeah. like, <laughs> Why not? We have nothing. I would, I want, we're here. We're here. Yes. Okay. So, um, I had the epidural and what happened with that was the doctor comes in, she preps me, they sent my husband out of the room and I'm in there alone. I'm in a lot of pain. I'm ready to get the epidural. The doctor, um, well, she, she goes in and she tells me what she's going to do. And then she asks me if a medical student can come in and observe. Oh, but that's where it stopped. So I'm, you're been, you can't move. So she said, can she observe? But no, mm-hmm. she didn't tell me that she was going to use me to teach her. But Te- while mm-hmm. teaching her, she made a mm-hmm. mistake. Oh, God. Stuck it in the wrong spot. Oh. But I can't move because it's an epidural and you know how that works. Well, if you don't know, you're not you're not able to move. You have you're to not stay able to feel mm-hmm. so I'm crying. I can't do anything. I have a question. I'm raising my hand. I, I've never seen this happen. I've obviously will never have it happen. So when you say you can't move, is it just you just sitting you're just sitting there and you're trying to stay yes. as still as possible? Yeah, you're bent over. Possible. You're basically because if you move, is, is someone like holding you to stay still? Because I just might move. Not really. You're just positioned. From what I can remember, I just had to kind of sit forward so that my back would be um, in a position where they could administer. So and it goes in your spine, or where does it go? Your spine. Okay. So if you move, okay, which is probably why you can't move. Yeah, which is to the point of not being able to. That could go wrong. So what happened after that was um, they continued the process. Of the um, Quincy trying to tell a story too. Yes, he was like, "Listen, girl, I was there." Let me tell you what really happened. Quincy was there, and he knows things that I don't know. But what happened? Um, after that, basically, let me just fast forward through the story. There's the there's the induction process. They continue doing that, and they tell me that his heart rate is dropping. Um, they're like, he's swallowing merconium. Your heart, your body is you're not dilating. We have to go now. So we have to do an emergency C-section. I'm completely unprepared, but I've- Right, because you just went in for the last checkup. This is a checkup. Well, this for is, the, I'm at the hospital. At this this is the induction, yeah. And induction. this is literally what happened to my friend. She went in for her induction and literally, and it was like emergency C-section. So, and then it's like, so my husband comes back and they tell him, so we have to move really quick, but I've eaten prior to this. You're not supposed to eat before a C-section. That really- Oh my gosh. So I'm- Laying there, I'm, I vomited. Um, he wasn't prepared for They didn't tell him what he was about to walk into when I got into the OR. So he walks in and he's Your husband. My, I'm, my husband. Oh. Saw everything, but he's not prepared. Because it happened so fast. And I went to one of the best hospitals in the country. I will not name it, but. Shall we know what name that is? I we are. Do. Already we know. Do. Yep. Yeah. I told you where I live. So mm. back to that. So fast forward, um, after that, um, my, I had preeclampsia. I kind of wasn't aware of that prior to that with the whole feed and the blood pressure. But What is preeclampsia? Okay, so it is a condition. I know, girl. I'm, I'm asking all the, all the questions. Listen, you're but, oh, but that's okay. It's perfect. But, why, but that's a part of why we're having these discussions because people do not know. People don't discuss these things. People, no. They, you go into the hospital and then they come home with a baby. 
Mm-hmm. With the ba- yeah, right, absolutely. And you and you brought up Kim earlier, Kim Kardashian. I think when she had her second child, she had preeclampsia, and like well, I remember her just saying it and being like, "I don't know what that is." And kind Beyonce of Beyonce like, also had it with the twins. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of um. <laughs> I'm sorry, Serena Williams. Yes, Serena Williams. Okay, yeah. She documented her experience too, and that was hard to watch for her uh, documentary on HBO. Sorry, not to interrupt you. Well, Andrea probably has to But the scary thing about that is about this documentary and going into it, these are women who's tax brackets i have not achieved right yeah mm-hmm. right right making mega millions it's freaking beyonce right mm-hmm. if they're going through these traumatic birth stories and it's happening to them then you know for a fact that it's happening on the level of the common everyday woman absolutely right. absolutely and, and that's what, the what makes it scarier and it's not that go ahead no go ahead i was just saying like to to piggyback on Janita's point, we have a woman in the documentary who is a very highly ranked talent executive at a network. And she made the choice to have a baby on her own. She had lost her mother and she felt just inclined to like carry on the legacy by having having a baby without, and she wasn't in a relationship. So she, mm-hmm. she became a mom and you know, she went through IVF and she talked about being there with her doula by herself. So no father in sight and the treatment, just grabbing her arm and putting, IV, and putting I, um, IVs in her arm uh, a doctor walked in, didn't address her, thought that her water hadn't broken, puts his hand inside her, breaks his, her water and walks out the room without addressing her. And so, she, you know, of course, she, her, her thing is like, is this normal treatment? Is it because I'm a single a single mother sitting here? But right. people, so just the fact that it doesn't matter how much you make or where you rank, it's just a matter of you're just a, a face. Yeah. That, yeah. Human decency, right? And that's what I was gonna say. It should not matter. Like you said, these things are happening to, like, like you said, women that are in a completely higher tax bracket. Women that, if they walk down the street, ninety percent of people are gonna know who they are. Like mm-hmm. that is, you should not receive better treatment from someone else because you don't know the rest of the back story. Mm-hmm. Like that is crazy. And I, I go to the doctor just for a checkup, and I'm like, oh, they have a horrible bedside manner. I'm never coming back here. Yeah. So I cannot imagine, like, a dentist. Any, I don't care where I go like my laser lady i changed her and i was like you know she's cold like don't like her i need a lot of you can have you you can have a really good obgyn like a even if you had like a black doc black woman doctor when you get to the hospital like that doesn't mean that you're gonna see your doctor immediately like they usually don't come until it's time to really push if you're having or unless you're getting a cesarean like you are the the nurses the pas you belong to them and that is the scary part because yeah you don't know them you aren't you don't meet them until your day in the hospital until but is it am i am i no, 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 you're right. Okay. And for me, I had a team of about five doctors, so I had to meet them throughout the process. And my doctor actually, my main OBGYN was pregnant. So she went out right before I had my baby. So the night wow. I got to the hospital, I had the doctor I did not want to get. He was on, but thank God I was delayed, so I didn't get him. But that's the one of wow. the things I was going to say, just to kind of go back. When you were talking about bedside manner, um, it's so, so important to have a good rapport with your doctor and to feel comfortable. Um, and having black doctors for me, I will say I didn't, I was not mistreated in the hospital at all. I just had a really hard experience. I had a lot of complications, but 
three black doctors saved my life. They stepped in mm. and I, I get emotional when I think about it sometimes because so many things happened. And one of the doctors came in and told me that one of the procedures they were going to do, they stepped in and did because of looking at my vitals and the things that were happening, they stepped in and because of the high mortality crisis for black women, wow. they stepped in and did, they did that. Wow. And when I think about that, it's, it is a little overwhelming because people don't realize just how important that is. You have to advocate for yourself and be a patient at the same time. I was blessed to have a husband who is vocal and who was paying attention, but not everybody has someone in the hospital with them. Like the uh, woman from the documentary that Kara was speaking about, she had a doula, but some women don't have that. They don't have anybody. So imagine being in distress and having to think for yourself and make sure that you're being listened to. There was a situation where I was allergic to a medication and nobody documented it and they kept giving it to me. So if I weren't paying wow. attention, wow. I mentioned that yeah, it was, I was getting lumps on my arms from it. It was really bad, but you have to, you're always thinking. So even if you're getting the best treatment and you like your hospital and you like the doctors, you have to always be on. And that's a yeah. pressure that other people don't understand. Other cultures do not necessarily understand. They don't have to. Uh-huh. Wow. I think culturally as well, we, and we talked about this as a team as we were developing the project. I think we are, we kind of get raised sometimes in our question authority. Like mm-hmm. at, from a young age, you're like, that's a doctor. So he knows what he's doing. He went to medical school. And so sometimes either, whether it is a matter of like, all right, I don't understand what he said, but I'll just write it down and Google it later. Or he's talking to me like I'm stupid and ignoring what I'm saying. We have to advocate for ourselves and not just in the birthing experience, but like leading up to like, if, if you feel one of our, our maternal health therapists on the documentary, Siobhan Odom says, if you feel like he's not listening to you, get out of there. Like if I've told you more than once that this is happening and you're like, oh, that's just, don't worry about it then I need to find somebody who listen to me, who at least will have the conversation. Because a lot of times I think between, sometimes we have pride as, as, black, as black and brown women, we don't want to come across like we don't know. So we won't ask a question and that can harm us. We have to say, go slower, uh-huh. repeat what you said. I'm sorry, say it one more time, give it to me one more time. And he has to slow down. Like Janita said, if you ask for a test and they say, no, you don't need it. All right, can you write that down in the, in the records that you told me I, I'm not getting this test? Because immediately it's going to change how they approach you. Once they know that you're keeping tabs of what of the treatment yeah. changes. Um, but definitely, I think culturally, we have a lot of things, both in how we pressure women to have babies culturally and how we approach IVF, but also just how we're taught to just kind of like mind our manners and, you know, be respectful to the doctor. No, I, I'm the mother. So I have questions. Part of yeah. this. <laughs> like, I don't your opinion is not more important yeah. than my opinion in this. Yeah. And I think it's also very important. The one of the biggest things that I love about having participated in this documentary is the conversations that are going to spin off from it. Because like it was mentioned earlier, we don't necessarily talk transparently about what's going on with us. So being Uh able to see a piece that's going to generate conversation and like even finding out by way of the documentary that miscarriage is very, very common. It's not this one-off taboo thing where it's like, Oh my gosh, it's not like that. Like, it happens uh-huh. more often than you think. And just being able to build your tribe and community when you decide to start having a child or start going on that journey, I think is very important. So you don't feel alone. Yeah. And I think miscarriages should be talked about much more than they are now. Like, um, even as a man, like, 
you know, I know women who've had them, but it's always seemed like this like hush hush thing. And I'm like, it's not your fault. Like not, I always have to remind people that and that just stems outside of even pregnancy and miscarriages, like things are, some things are out of your control. And I think sometimes when you norm, I hate normalize, oh gosh, but if you normalize things sometimes (laughs) and you actually like talk as a community and with people, it's okay. Like, bringing it back to another celebrity with Chrissy Teigen. Like she was the one who documented when she was having a miscarriage and had no idea that that was actually going to be the end of the documenting that she was having. And I think that even opened people's eyes to being like, wow, like someone like her who to, to your points earlier, you know, could afford all the, the healthcare in the world still experiencing this well into her pregnancy, but it should definitely be talked about more amongst the community. But this speaks to, and what I would hope for our documentary is that it speaks to a larger conversation about our healthcare industry in general. Because in 2020, regardless of how crazy this year has been, the United States should not have the rates that they have as far as Black maternal mortality rates. And if anything, now I'm backpedaling on what I said, but that is terrifying, knowing that in 2020, mm-hmm. Black women who are healthy, educated or uneducated, but healthy, well-bodied, well-abled women are dying giving birth is traumatic. Yeah. And it has the highest mortality rate in developed countries. Like that's atrocious. California has the highest mortality rate. But you said California has the highest? The highest is the state with the highest uh, maternal mortality rate. And that's- But um, to piggyback on what uh, Didi was saying about miscarriages, like, in talking to both my sister and this and then to the group like a lot of that shame also comes from the, our history as black women like we are naturally supposed to be very fertile like that mm-hmm. that was our mm-hmm. major role on, on the plantation you know right yes creating the next generation so uh while it's not how we're looked at now but um you know, there's still some, some shame in the fact that like, you know, if you're struggling to get pregnant or you miscarry and one, there's the miscarrying, but you're also surrounded by friends who are like, Oh, there's a, there's a birthday party every weekend, you know? And so you're, you're mm-hmm. going to the birthday mm-hmm. parties with this idea of like, why can't I just get this done? So there's that. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes grandmas and aunties and moms don't know how to deal with that really delicately. So it's like, why you need help? I did it by myself. Why you need science? Oh, you don't right. Right. Yeah. Oh. So like, that can get you and you're like, okay. You We're know, so different and that's fine. Mm-hmm. So it's how we approach it and how as a culture we have to know, like we talked about on our social, our Instagram, high-risk doc posting on Thanksgiving, like here's what we don't talk about around the table today. And we had a clip mm-hmm. about pressure. Like, right. just because I got married last year, I don't mean I need to talk about your grandbabies. <laughs> okay, let, yeah. me, right. a second. let me enjoy my husband. I- and I love that you guys even discussed that because that's something that typically isn't talked about because like you said, specifically for older generations, it's like, you guys are together with my grandbabies, with my kids. It's like, I, I don't, I don't want that, you know, like I'm right now, I'm, I, let me just do me. And that does not, that does not look like a baby right now. You should never feel pressured to, to like have to do that. Like at one point I told my mother, you go have a baby. Shit. I was just like, going to ask. <laughs> That bad. So bad. You go do it then, sis. Like you, have you have are you being that? pressured into having a kid? And no, it's just... no. It so honestly, it was like I think it was maybe two or three years ago, and I literally said to my mother, I said I could go have a baby with like any man, and it could be that baby. We don't know the man's history, and that could be a little crazy ass little baby. And Lord knows, I don't have the patience for that. But like, 
I would, you would want, I would think, mom, like, you would want me to have a man, you know, that I have a relationship with, and, you know, and that we're building a life together. And this is, she was having this conversation with me when I was not in a relationship. Um, and since then, she's never asked me again. Put the, put the mm. bottle, put put a, what, what did uh, Wendy say? Fasten. Yeah, fasten it. Fa- fasten it. Put a fasten, I put a fast on that conversation. Okay. I heard that. I have not had that conversation since. I heard that. But what if that. you didn't no, want to have kids, period? What if that was not a part of that plan? Right. Not yeah. ever considered. What if I've decided, I mean, and that goes to marriage, children, whatever. Your life is your life. And I think culturally, people don't know where to draw the line with questions because mm-hmm. the same way that they ask those invasive questions, if you were to then come to them and say, I don't know. Um, why don't you have a husband? Whatever it is, or why right. don't you have ten? Right now, you're disrespectful. Then you're disrespectful. Right? Well, Are you still with him? For me, um, <laughs> that bothers me. You're still with that bum, sis. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the thing. From I don't understand why people think that that's okay. To add. and then when mm-hmm. you respond like the way that you said that you told your mom, you said why don't you have a baby or whatever it was that you said, mm-hmm. then people jump back and they look at you like you're crazy. But it's you right. It's like we're not doing this question. Yeah, or suppose like, we were just talking about. Go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say really quickly what we were just talking about with the miscarriages. Like that, I'm sure it's very triggering for someone that is trying or just has not. you know at this point in time has not been able to conceive a child and it's like I am trying and now you're bringing this up on something I I think I remember in Gabrielle Union's book she mentioned that a lot like Mm -hmm. people were like oh you're not having kids and it's like she's like I've had multiple miscarriages (laughs) one of the most painful things that happened to me I so I pulled it I I had a miscarriage two years ago and after that happened no one really knew I was out at an event with um some people I knew and somebody asked, well, when are y'all going to have a kid? So I, you know, I left it off. I brushed it off. It was right after. And then the person said, well, I mean, I can be your surrogate if you want. What? Yes. yes. Much. So at, yeah, these people are very inappropriate and they thought that was a joke. I was just going to say, they probably thought it was like them being funny, but That's like nothing is that funny. Yeah. Nothing is funny about that. No. I will say making this documentary has made me much more sensitive. I never made those jokes, but I'm very like even my sister, even like after the fact, I'm like, is a conversation started? Like I'm like, did I ever do anything that like triggered you? Like I like I, I wanted to have the conversation more. So we that's what I'm hoping this documentary does is like moms and daughters and, and friends can be like, hey, I never asked you about what happened when you went through this phase. You all right? Like you want to talk about it? Yeah. Even like black men, like we were surprised at how many black men even watching the trailer were like, woof, just because the birthing experience is centered on mom and baby. You don't think about postpartum depression happens to men as well. Sometimes that was, I saw that clip and that was such a, like a whoa factor for me. I I never even considered that. And that could totally have been the case for uh, my child's dad. And I didn't even think about, I'm so caught up in my own. So is that like, I guess, did you I mean, obviously figure that out or found that out from doing this documentary? But I, that was something that I had never heard of before. Like, how did you even get to that being a thing with dads? Well, I love this documentary because, like we said, we, just, we talk about miscarriage. We talk about pressure. We all talk about birthing. But we talk about the aftermath. Like, what happens after? Because post people think postpartum means depression. Postpartum is just the phase after you have a baby. Right. Mm-hmm. Things that happen. So depression is a small part of it. I actually and- think that. 
we yeah we I, I did not know that until recently, Dee Dee. Like I did not know. Yeah, that, <laughs> we learned to didn't know. We featured a therapist <laughs> and a licensed family therapist on our documentary that talk about the relationship. So think about the man like Andrea's husband who watches his wife get wheeled into a C-section or walks in on a C-section and what trauma he de- deals with in like knowing that his wife's life is on a table and no one even asked him anything. And so they mm-hmm. as a as a as a couple have to heal from that afterwards. We talk about the black man like something as small as your husband or you know the, the father of your child he works out every day. That, that's his mental health is working out. Now there's a baby. No one, y'all are barely showering. And mom feels like a feeding machine. So she can't really help or support. He can't leave to say, hey, I need an hour in the gym just to get my mind right. Because that looks like selfishness. So he's just in the house with you. And so he might see you going through depression. He doesn't know how to help. And so there, there's this kind of like tennis match of like, nobody knows how to help the other person. So we talk about that in documentary about mm, that's what real. depression looks that's like. very men. real. And she says, you know, a lot of times it looks like he just doesn't connect with me or he doesn't, he doesn't desire me anymore, but he just is depressed. Mm-hmm. So we got to talk. Sometimes it helps to go to a therapist afterwards as a couple and say, like, let's talk about what, what we just went through together. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, how do you get to that? Yeah. Um, sorry, no, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say you're thrown into those roles right after you have the baby. There's no in between. And then there is really no, as, as a part of the postpartum visit, you get one visit with your OBGYN actor, that's it. There's no mental health check-in really. You get a little sheet at your child's visit where you check off some um, answers. And honestly, the questions that they ask, you're not gonna answer them honestly. I'm gonna say you're not because what's gonna happen? Are you gonna take my baby away if I answer these honestly? That's the, mm, that was my that's real. honestly. And that is the experience of the women that we spoke with everyone feels the same way you do not feel comfortable answering that whether it's the worker that comes in the hospital because they just pop in and ask you questions and you're like what is the goal in that so there's really no there's really no proper care for parents after they have the baby you're just kind of thrown into these to these roles that you're not fully prepared for and you're just learning on the job but your emotional health takes a back seat you're not real because you're completely focused on this little person yeah, that's a uh-huh. beautiful thing. Uh-huh. So it's okay as we're trying to normalize <laughs> the Come idea on. of like uh, it's okay to ask for help. Like, I, and I understand why most women would lie on that form because historically we get labeled as bad parents and children get taken away. So you're like, no, nah, I'm right. good, I'm fine, I don't need any help. But that strong we black don't figure it out. <laughs> yeah, but like you need help and. I think it's uh, it's okay to say, yeah, I need a moment. I, I need someone to come and just hold him for a second so I can shower and just be like myself. And I can't speak to the experience, but from what I've heard, you know, it's 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 hard to ask for help immediately, right, Andrea? It's very and just this, just a <laughs> moment, y'all. So I've had this discussion with my friends and family. A lot of people talk about the whole shower thing. I have not missed one. I refuse to miss a shower. Yeah, I uh, like missing <laughs> a shower, you do, baby. If I gotta get up at five a.m. I'm taking my shower. <laughs> I have to like choose. And people are like, I gotta choose. I'm not choosing between that. Choosing. I didn't, I didn't have to choose that though. <laughs> that, I, I didn't live that life. I'm not doing that. And that's on the commercial smell. That baby was gonna sit in that smell. thing. She was gonna <laughs> sit in that rocker. That's okay. And take them in the take them in the bathroom if you need to. Put them in their little yeah. bathroom, whatever you gotta do. Mm-hmm. Okay, I don't you believe that lie. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> you you find you a way. Because I, I'm not gonna lie. I thought that was real. I, I literally thought, thought that you could not you take. You online all the time, time, don't you? You do. I thought you couldn't take a shower. I did 
second I thought there were going to be days where that was not going to happen. Definitely thought that. Like, Girl. was not sure. I also, I did not know about this post-op meeting. And so what, I guess now I'm intrigued, like, what are some of these questions that they're asking you, like, my after post, the uh, baby? Have you had, I wish, I think well, I had, you know, <laughs> I, don't no, I want light bulbs, so everything is around. I just that. remember, uh, like, the physical exam. Mm-hmm. Um and there was a questionnaire, but and and there was definitely questions like that on there, but I don't remember in its entirety. It's a lot of um, okay. when you get to I that, it's a lot of have you been sad more than five days in a row? Um, do you feel like you might okay. hurt your baby? Never felt that way, but right, other things but like I'm sad, I might, be- yeah, like why would I say yes to this? Right, right, major surgery, I can't do anything. I wasn't expecting, yeah. and then there's the mental part of it because I'm gonna. I don't want to. I'm not a doctor, but I will say that pretty much the ma- the majority of women, black women, I've spoken to, have had the same situation as me, where they have a C-section, and it kind of makes you feel like you're on an assembly line, but you're not prepared for that. There was never a discussion of a C-section. Mm. I never taught. I never was prepared. I didn't even know what it entailed. Wow. Never a thing for me. So to go from, oh, I'm just going to go have the baby, quote unquote, naturally, and then to have a C-section and then like all of the things that happened to me after from um, postpartum hemorrhaging, I hemorrhaged two liters out of nowhere in the bed. Um, My husband was in the room. He heard it across the room. I had to have an emergency procedure in the bed with no anesthesia, nothing because they had to save my life. All of these things happen, but I still have to breastfeed and I still Uh, Right. Yeah on andre you on the documentary yeah. right <laughs> no no i'm like is, is your story in there she's, she's baby baby you're not in there but that she asked her she said no on the press tour I, I wasn't ready but now you know we're good so press tour i'll be sharing the story but no y'all are the first on the okay. tour what? You I'm, I'm still trying to pull up on the person who told you there was going to be a surrogate. I'm still on that. Right. <laughs> afterwards, because I live, so I might know who it is, because I'm going to pull up real we quick. We might pull up. Right. <laughs> like, that is, yeah, that, you don't that's, have, you're not prepared for any of these things, so it's like, all of these things happen one after another, after another, and then, boom, like, I remember laying in the bed crying at night, Mm. And the nurses were so good, they would come and take him. But at some point, he has to come back. He's still my baby. Right. Migraine Mm. or whatever it is. Like, there's no turning it off. Oh, I'm just not going to breastfeed or I'm not going to do anything. Mm -hmm. So all of these things happen. And I just feel like there is not enough. People don't, uh, bottom line, people don't discuss these things. Yeah. It's just like, you just see all the cute Instagram pictures. But like, y'all don't know, like a lot of Like, no, I almost died twice. Like, like well, yes, I, and I, it, it, I mean, literally, and I, I know I just said it, but I think it's just like it's so crazy to me that, like I said, my friend that I have known for you know twenty years or something like that has gone through a very similar experience, and this is you know like this was this year that she had the same experience. So this is not a you know what you've experienced or what she's experienced is a one off thing. And I think you know, to the point of the documentary, it is like you have to normalize these things. Because when she said it, you know, initially I was like, oh my God, this is the scariest thing I've ever heard of. She was hemorrhaging, all that. The doctor, like I said, it was the nurse's uh, aid or whatever that came in and all these different things. 
And I was like, oh my God, this sound, it sounds so perplexed, you know, like this was maybe a one-off thing. And hearing your story, I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. Like you both had a child like in this year and last year, like this is common. Like the, the urgency literally of what you guys were saying, like it's really real. I, let me say something. I'm already vocal. I'm being that that bad. Like something's off. <laughs> Anything you? You feel, if anything feels the slightest bit wrong, say something. I don't care if it feels like you're overreacting. Say something. Don't yeah. not mention anything because it is literally the difference between life and death. One of the things that also happened is I was on a magnesium drip. If you Google that, that is one of the craziest things you could ever experience. I was taken back to labor and delivery, put on a magnesium drip. I had to stay in the bed for um they were going to do it for 48 hours i was on it for 24 hours it basically keeps you from having seizures and you're just laying there completely it's the craziest feeling and i remember when i first started they were like oh um you're gonna feel like you have the flu and i'm like i'm good i don't feel nothing (laughs) like Um, the flu it basically was i don't i don't know if that's what COVID feels like but if it does, so like, like sweats and stuff like that, your body, you feel, you can't, like, I couldn't breathe. I was completely congested. Oh, I was, wow. I, I felt it was, it was, it hurt. Like everything, your body, though, that drip is so strong, but then that was an added wow. thing on top of all of the other things that happened. So do you think your pain was wow. discounted? Do you think that they weren't checking on you as much as they could have been? Because I don't going, think so. I had okay. very attentive nurses. I just think that, um, it was like whatever could go wrong did go wrong I think that my preeclampsia was not detected as early as it should have been because they called it postpartum preeclampsia but when I look back at my pictures um I remember my mom used to be on FaceTime like a little scared about my ankles and my feet like they're, you're really, really swollen. What's going on? I don't know. What's oh, before you, like, before you gave birth. I gave birth. Okay, okay. And like, I remember the first time she got a little nervous <laughs> was in August. Um, and she okay. She made me change my shoes. She was like, "You got to put these on. These are a little looser and flatter," because she could. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And my doctors never said anything, so I don't know if they just thought my blood pressure was a little elevated, but. I think that there were some things that could have maybe been detected earlier um, and prevented, but I'll never know. Yeah. I will say this. Uh-huh. I, the advocate for saying something, uh, Tiffany, who is in our documentary, who is an amazing woman. She has a, an organization that was inspired by the loss of her, of her, of her baby boy. But her story really comes from the fact that she is the wife of an, of an ex NFL player and, um, amazing and you know highly regarded they lived in texas so he was playing for the for the cowboys at the time i believe mm-hmm. and so just really really short like points where some, something went wrong she was having spotting so she went in they had to have an emergency c-section and she remembers as they're prepping her for surgery nurses talking to her about the cowboys first red flag like what are uh-uh. you talking about you're prepping me talking about football and then on top of that she has the babies of course they're premature so she's monitoring them very closely and she herself is darker complexion. Her husband's lighter skinned. So the boys, you know, were, you know, lighter skinned. And then one of them turned very dark overnight. And she remembers saying, excuse me, something's wrong with my son. Like his complexion is off. And the nurse says to her, oh, that's what happens to black babies. Black babies do that. And 
disregarded it. And then the, that night she got a call from the special who said, oh, I heard you inquiring about his color. Actually, he does have something wrong with him. Something was wrong with him. And it kind of spurred, I, I won't tell the whole story, but he ended yeah. up passing away. Oh. And um, just the fact wow. that like, even when you speak up, sometimes you can, like you really have to like, sometimes wow. be heard. And she talks about screaming with the doctors. And this is a woman who is a NFL wife. So this is not, you know, we're not talking love and hip hop, you know, drama. We're talking about like somebody who's, who's, who knows how to connect herself in all places, but she had to scream at doctors to get attention. And she also also spoken to what Andrea said earlier about being afraid that they would take her child, her children away. Yep. They came in and when she had all these complications, she remember like she she had said that she vividly remembered being scared to talk about what's going on because she was afraid that they would be used against her and they would think she was a drug addict or something like all of that negative stuff went through her mind as she was trying to fight to save her son's life. So uh-huh. even that, like you are the wife of a of a Dallas cowboy in Texas and you're still like, well, I'm a black woman, so I don't know if I can. Yeah. And then you know she lost she lost the son and then having to go bury a child because it was twins. So having to go bury one while the other one's in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And in the trailer, I think you, you hear her say, the nurse said, you know, you still have Steven here at the hospital. For 10 days, she didn't go back because something in her, and she's very open about the story. Like, she's like, if that baby's going to die too, I don't want to get close to it. Like, mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. Women, oh. we, get very, we get very tense about like, I don't want to be the imperfect. I, I so celebrate her for admitting that there was a time right. where I, I didn't mm-hmm. trust myself to love a baby because I just I just lost one and so I so the, yeah. even those and so she talks about how she connected with her son and now he's her her road dog but just like you don't hear a lot of women being okay with admitting that like yeah for a second I just didn't feel capable and I just let uh-huh, it go uh-huh. so normalizing yeah. those conversations speaking up but yeah. then if it doesn't work out being able to say I need a moment yeah that's what it's and because like. we always have yeah. that like even I think to the speaking up in the hospital it's like well this isn't that bad because I think, you know, sometimes as black women, it's like, well, you know, you have that role of like the strong black woman with, I'm about to be a damsel in distress. I, and I and I am very much the like, I don't ask for help. I got it, superwoman. But like, I'm about to throw all that to the wayside because this is just, we, we have to find the balance basically of, like you said, advocating for yourself, but sometimes not like being open just to being like this is what happened and this is what I went through like we don't always have to be strong we don't always have to have it pulled together and have all the answers and have the next steps because I I mean I I don't know because I can only speak from a black woman but I don't know if any other race goes through this and has to even think about these kinds of things the fact that we're even sitting here having this conversation I don't know if another race of woman would even have to even to think about this type of stuff I would just guess that it's enough I don't know, right. but I think as the race that historically from Marion Sims, where he, uh, he uh, the father of gynecology, where he would experiment on slave women without anesthesia, I would say, we're the ones that are the most traumatized. We're the ones that have a, a marked yeah. history of being used as lab rats. So yeah, yeah uh-huh. we're allowed to feel a little bit more, you know, hesitant and trusting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness gracious. But Ooh, I just want to be very, the documentary is... It, it covers tough topics, but I don't want anybody to feel like they can't watch it. Like it's not so heavy that you're not going to want to sit down and watch it because you do learn from it. And there is hope in every single one of these stories that these women yeah. share. 
and you you take away a lot from it, like learning the conversations you need to have. One of the things that Dr. Terry Ann Bennett had said that I never even thought of before was when you go into your doctor's office, like when you go to a doctor's appointment, have your list of questions. Yeah. And then the doula confirmed uh-huh. it. So I know God is saying, make sure you have a list of questions, but yeah. the doula confirmed that like the importance of the doula is when you're speaking to her about what's going on with you and she, and your doula attends the appointments, your doula will trigger, remember to ask this. Remember you had yeah. such for the past few days and blah, 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 blah. So it's not like, this isn't a doom and gloom documentary. Oh, it's yeah. like the stories are, yeah. the stories are traumatic but there's so much hope in these stories and you take away something that allows you, you take away so much from it that you can learn how to proceed next. And you learn that these are not like, while they are terrifying stories, they're also stories that you should, like, you can talk to people about it. You're not the only one through these things. Yeah. We also make sure to, um, cause you know, we, we, obviously talk about the flaws and the racism and the bias, but we wanted to make sure we highlighted medical professionals that exist in the system, but still understand that this is a problem. So we have the OBGYN, the doula, the resident nurse, the therapist. So if somebody's watching this and said, I don't even know how to start building a tribe, at least we've given you five or six black women that are medical professionals that you could just start following them on social media, reach out to them and say, hey, I'd love to make an appointment with you. I saw you on this documentary. Can I come in? And so- So, and like Janita was saying, there is healing at the end. We have a a story in there about somebody who, you know, doula saved her life and there's nurses and Timberlands, you know, pulling again. (laughs) (laughs) It's a crazy story about a New York, only in New York would your nurses have Tims on and save your life. So just, that's that's so real. That's very New York. That's very New York. York. Dead ass. Dead ass. That did happen. But I just, I also want to say that as a, like what you were saying, Janita, about having conversations, the goal is for this to open the lines of communication between generations. So what I like to say about this is that there is power in transparency and a lot of people need to know that they're not alone, but also if you watch this with your daughters or your grandmother or your mother, it'll, you'll, after that, they might say, Hey, that happened to me, but I didn't know what to call that. Right. That's Mm -hmm. happened to me with Mm -hmm. my family. There've been discussions. I had a great conversation with my mom. I knew that she had a really traumatic experience when she had me, but it was a different time. So they didn't know exactly what to call certain things. This was Mm -hmm. 1984. It was a very different time. But uh-huh, uh-huh. that has, you know, now we've connected in that way as mothers. Now I kind of understand her story more. So that is a part of the goal of this, just to make people have the discussions and just men also men can talk to their friends who are having babies. Well, not father, fathering children. Mm-hmm. They can have discussions with them about their experiences and prepare them to advocate for the women in their lives. Yeah. When I was talking to my mom about the documentary, literally before I got on the phone with you all, she was like, she was like, it's really good that you worked on this, Janita, and blah, blah, blah. And she was like, you know, if I would have known back then, I don't know if all of y'all would have been alive because I'm one of four. <laughs> so when I had mm. brought it before, she was like, she said, black women are still dying at ridiculous rates. 
She said, you know, I had to be young and dumb because I would not have kept having y'all knowing that this was happening. <laughs> That's where I'm at with it. I'm on a, I'm really on a one and done. I'm like, oh, women is really out here dying. I got lucky the first time. Might not be that lucky the next. <laughs> Who knows? Oh my gosh. One thing Dr. Dunphy says in documentary, she's like, don't let this steal your joy though. Like, no, don't, exactly. let uh -huh. like don't let the fact that we got to armor up and go in there and fight like take your village with you but enjoy the process like i'm sure Gigi, I'm, i don't know what you're but you, you seem like you didn't have a traumatic experience I don't, i'm not sure i, I still did yes <laughs> i did yep mm -hmm. but i hyper reacted to my uh induction medication oh no and had to uh basically scream well i was too busy uh laboring but my my uh boyfriend at the time my daughter's father had to go like hunt down and find the nurse and the person like carrying over me to see what was wrong but really i was like contracting at i think like a level nine but i had only dilated one centimeter i was just my body was overreacting so and then that that kind of catapulted a whole uh, other things a whole lot of other things but we're healthy um we came out good so i i can't complain but but yeah it was it for me it was also a traumatic experience yeah my point wasn't well, my point is moot <laughs> I'm sorry. No, no, no. I was saying, I was agreeing with Karen. Karen said, don't let it steal your joy. Yeah. One of the women in the documentary recently had a beautiful, chunky yeah. little baby girl. Mm. And her pregnancy, from what I understand, has was not all that traumatic. Mm -hmm. She had a smooth pregnancy for the most part. She had a labor was rough, but from my understanding, I imagine labor is rough anyway. But yeah. uh -huh, <laughs> she had uh -huh. a beautiful baby girl, healthy little girl. So there is hope and there's light at the end of it all. Let this deter you from having baby number two. <laughs> <laughs> she, she, I don't know about that. she got that my exactly. daughter got that only child spirit already. <laughs> who am I to who, who am I to deter not, her from that? She does. Not she only does. child spirit, she does. No, I, I think everything honestly, I mean just like we have not seen the doc in full and just even this conversation like I, I feel like every five minutes I learned something new and I definitely didn't feel like defeated or like fuck them kids like it's just like you said I, I feel like I'm more armored with information um that when I do go in and when this does become a part of my journey like you said I have my village and like knowing because I know me I would I as dramatic as I am even as I said I'd be like well this is probably normal and my heart is racing and it's probably something that should just be happening where it's like no you should probably say something about that like that's not or, or whatever it is so I think you know for anybody else listening like speak up say something like we gotta like you said you have to advocate for yourselves and the people around you but like if something don't feel right What's the MTA saying? And you always say it. Um, say something, say something. You see something, <laughs> say something. Yeah. You know it. One of the other beautiful things about the documentary is that we also speak about the use of science to help you bring forth that beautiful baby that you wanted. Because I feel like that's also, and we did address it um, in the documentary. It's also something that's a bit taboo in our community. And it doesn't have to be. People are having babies via IVF all the time. And we have a, uh -huh. a lovely couple who documented their entire journey with IVF. And now they have a cute, all these cute little girls people have. <laughs> yes. 
But they had um, an adorable baby too. So that's another thing that really helped me with like, well, that furthered my passion for the project, knowing that we weren't going to only focus on like natural births and natural like forms of having children and things like that, because I'm 34. I don't have kids yet. And who knows what that, how, when it's, when I decide to have kids, how that is going to play out and to be able to dispel Uh those myths and have those, those conversations around having children and how to have them is important. I think Mm -hmm. anything, the one takeaway from our documentary is the importance of having the conversations. Yeah, no, I love that. Is there anything else that you guys want people to, um, I mean, I'm like, I think y'all hate it because I'm like, like, cool child, I can't wait to see this. But is there anything else that you guys want people to, you know, take away? One thing just that was important to me, and this is kind of like going back to the beginning of why I really wanted to. So I remember in the height of Black Lives Matter, and we're still in the height of it, let's be honest. But in, yeah. in the summertime of this year, uh, there was a post about Black Lives Matter. And somebody in the comments said, was talking about maternal mortality. I think it was right after Shreja Washington's passing, so in July. And this guy responded, uh, you know, we got, we, got a, we got to fight one fight at a time. You know, you, you're convoluting the, the conversation with, you know, mortality. And my first thought was that, like, in the history of Blackness, when have we ever had the luxury of fighting one fight at a one time? One thing at a time, right. Like, mm-hmm. that, that to me is just, you know, when we think to who it was who said it, but just, like, the fight of, like, Black Lives Matter, but, like, this is the, a micro version of that. This is Black Lives Mattering in a maternity ward. So you can't right. look at it separate mm-hmm. things not a woman's issue infertility is not a woman's issue because men also contribute uh-huh. so like you have to look at it right as a unit as a community doing it together it's not just oh well this is that woman's thing they always talking about because like when we posted the trailer one of my close male friends called me and we spent an hour talking about his wife's birthing experience so like men feel this as well and they go through this experience mm. so you know definitely this is not just a side issue that happens in hospitals and nobody else cares about it this is a us issue yeah 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 absolutely cool yeah i'm like cool and i love that you guys also document the men's part of it because like i mean G, you said it too yes. i would never think about a man yeah it's like you ain't have to birth nobody you have to carry nobody. right you were able to drink for nine months like you what did you go through and you weren't you know, able to think that they actually but that's something oh, like you could have a drink and that's something that was absolutely spoken about in the documentary how mm-hmm. men and i mean we can history like we can have real deep conversations but i feel like it's gonna go very deep but like historically like men and black men are shut out of these processes yeah and the more you shut them out you can't like it's odd for you to be upset that they now okay well you didn't want me to do it in the first place now you want me to do it so like having those conversations and having the men be a part of it was really like Mm -hmm. that that might have been my favorite shoot day because I feel like women, like like I said in the beginning, Kara and I have had conversations, neither of us having children yet, but having conversations about, oh, well, you know, I'm thinking about freezing my eggs and blah, blah, blah. But to hear the men's side to it and what they think about it and how they want to support their wives or their girlfriends or their fiancés and honestly how scared they are about it. Because it's so like, everything is so centered on mommy and the baby that you forget the baby came because daddy was, like there was somebody right, yeah. to get there. Yeah, yeah, that is such a good. That's such a good point. Yeah, because I'd be like, that nigga, all right, shit, <laughs> like, right, exactly. It's like he's fine. It's 
this is me dealing with this. But no, I, I love that. And like I said, again, we can't, uh, we cannot wait to see it. We will totally support it. Um, so we have ending show questions for you guys. So we're going to just take one for each of you. So um, um, Kira, what would you tell your younger self? In, in terms of this topic or in general? Anything. It could be anything. Um, I would tell my younger self, I'm not going to go too deep. Just love yourself sooner. I spent a lot of time questioning myself and who I wanted to be and how I showed up. And I'm in a place now where it's so unapologetic and I'm having like the best time giving. Yes. <laughs> so like, I wish I got into this place. So get, get to the point of just like settling into yourself a little sooner because it's so much easier. Yeah. Love that one. Love. Child, if I go back to high school, I'm giving all them girls hell. (laughs) (laughs) Like, did you know that was the time too? That was the time. I played. I played. Had I known what I know now, (laughs) child. Okay. Um, Oh my god, I cannot. um, Andrea, is there anything that you wish you would have known going into um, your pregnancy? Or or I guess your birth, rather. Or pregnancy. It could be either or. I would say my birth more. I would have. I wish I would have known more about the C-section process. Just the procedure period. Because I didn't, like I said, I didn't watch any documentaries. I didn't Because I didn't want to know anything. I did not want to be scared, which is funny because we were just talking about people not not having people not watch this because we don't want them to be scared but because <laughs> there weren't a lot of resources that covered black pregnancy in the way that this does so all there was was a very popular documentary by a 90s talk show host um, I saw that, that yes one. yeah <laughs> I yeah, saw that one Ricky Lake, yeah. <laughs> Ricky Lake. Yeah, my OBGYN made me watch that. And I was like, how are you the doctor making me watch this when the whole documentary is about, like, Xing out the doctor, basically? Oh, but basically, he wanted you to have a midwife and mm-hmm. not even yeah. basically. Right. But I think that uh, that would have been really, really helpful. Uh, other than that, I was good with pregnancy. I had some surprises in pregnancy, little things that I didn't know would happen. But other than that, um, just having that knowledge, I wouldn't have been caught off guard the way I was. And I would have been a little more mentally prepared for the very long recovery. Got him. I mean, I think, Janita, you said it. Euphoria is what scares If anything is going to scare me, it's literally <laughs> euphoria. Like, I am that show. Like, I can't watch that now. I was pregnant when I watched it, so I had no idea. I was like, oh, this is so crazy. I can't watch season two. <laughs> Did you see the, say the same thing, G? Were you not able to watch it when I, you were I th- I had already had Jesse. Um, I watched it, but it did it, it. I couldn't watch The Handmaid's Tale. That's what I couldn't watch. But That's I did watch okay. Euphoria. I knew it was okay. But that okay. did give me okay. a different okay. level of like ang- anxiousness. So yeah, yeah. I, I feel your pain. I stopped watching anything yeah. like that. Like I don't know how. Again, I was pregnant, and I watched When They See Us. I could never watch. Oh. I could never watch that. And I also didn't know I was having a boy at that point. But I couldn't. Oh, uh, that's that's something. Key point: women that have black sons experience postpartum depression at higher rates than women that have black daughters or non-black sons. 
Yeah. Wow. And I'm wow. to take up space, but I also want to say you were asking about if other races experience uh, what we experience as far as childbirth. Another thing that people don't think about is the excitement that you have. There's gender reveals, and that's this new big thing. The moment I found out I was having a son, the amount, the fear that washed over me, I was consumed with that for a long time. It's not necessarily gone. The fear of having a black son is something mm-hmm. that people don't think about. So it's like, are you having a girl or a boy? It's not the same thing. It's not universal. These are things that other people don't have to think about. The fears that you yeah. have for a little boy that at some point people are going to look at him as an adult when he's a small child. There are things that I think about. So that's a part of why I can't watch the things that I used to watch before. When they, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I have seen other like moms I know with sons say the same thing like that, you know, there's certain things or, or even just posts and things that they feel just obviously because of everything, not everything that has been going on, but like it's just, so much more obviously like in our faces and like there's more tv shows and everything is just more documented um that makes total sense to me though completely yeah thank you um and then um janita what do you know for sure like you know god is love um i'm getting superpowers on the 21st and i can't wait um what (laughs) (laughs) what do you know for sure uh shoot (laughs) I for sure know that I do not know everything. I know that honestly, God is in control. And as long as I let go and let God that everything will work out according to the way it's supposed to work out. And either way, I will be fine. That's what I know for sure. That when all is said and done, I will be fine. Yes. Yeah. And then right behind okay. you, you have okay. um, God is within her. Oh, <laughs> In the background. In the background. Right in the background. Right shoulder, sister. Message right right there. I love it. Um, and so we end this show with a quote, and it's, Dear Black Girl, specifically, I beg you, do not shrink yourself. Do not give into imposter syndrome and do not play small. You, yes, you are in the room because you're supposed to be there and because you're the brightest star in it. So shout out to Janae Brown. Saw that on her Insta tweets the other day. Um so, and I think that kind of goes into, you know, everything yeah. also that we were just speaking about. Um, ladies, thank you guys so much for coming thank on. Where can so people much. find you guys? Thank you. So if you want more information on the documentary, uh, high risk doc on Instagram, or if you want to email high risk doc at Gmail, that's where you can find us. But we post social clips and profiles and everybody who's in the documentary on our Instagram. So please follow. And if we have any screenings or any information about where you can see it, it will be on there first. Um, and I am created by dot Kira on Instagram as well. If you want to follow me. I am at jbella0926 on Instagram and my regular name, Janita Bellamy on Facebook. I am at Andrea84. Let me say that again, because I don't know if you can hear over Quincy. I am at <laughs> Andrea84 and it's A-N-D-R-I-A, not E. Okay, ladies, thank you so much. Thank you so much. This was so informative. And thank you for sharing. Informative. Yes, thank you for your vulnerability. Yes, yes, yes. thank you for your 
Yes, absolutely. I'm still trying to pull up on people after this, so let me know after this. <laughs> Are you ready? You, he gonna have his wings, so he'll just be able to fly over there real quick. Right. Remember, on the 21st, I get to fly, so I'm. And I'm gonna be moving him across the room the second I see some, somebody about to say some slick 21. shit. <laughs> no, and I'm gonna be like. My eyes just gonna be like. Oh wait, guys! What time? What time the twelfth? What time tomorrow? Because tomorrow is the twenty first. So what time? Oh, it's tonight. It's at eleven fifty nine. Okay. All right. Cool. Oh, it's gonna hit us. Okay. All right. I gotta get ready. I'm gonna drink more water. (laughs) She said I gotta drink more water. I really gotta drink some water too. Meanwhile, right, and I was like, I'm gonna go me. A apple cider um, mimosa, and I'm gonna still continue to drink my water, but we go do both. Do have the other one, by the way. If you, oh, yeah, okay, honey, shut, oh, shut up, guys. We also said we're gonna do a whole episode on Trader Joe's because we talk about Trader Joe's, so it's like the flowers. only thing I tweet about. I would love to come back, he does, but we're not, we're not gonna do that. I'm just right saying. Oh, I mean, you can come back for the Trader Joe's episode now. <laughs> no, absolutely. I'll have everything laid out, and we can do t- you know a tasting virtually. Just let me know. Okay, we got <laughs> we got to get in contact with corporate. They need to cut the chat. Say yes. say less. Hey y'all, <laughs> what's up, Trader <laughs> Joe's? <laughs> I'm manifesting that. Not the right, end, so, boys. Bye. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Bye. Bye.